0: As I research kundalini, I see that it is not a practice to be trifled with. I mean, you just can't meditate on your chakras and bam, you've got kundalini action going. It is a much more intense and conscious process, and it's not to be taken lightly. I remember a teacher of mine awakening my kundalini and being me. I don't remember much. (laughs) Just that we were sitting on an open grassy spot at a park and she did her thing. Now, was I shaking, my eyes rolling back in my head like I see in videos? No, I, I sat there. Does that mean it didn't take? I don't know. And that is today's rabbit hole on blue lightning healing meditations. My name is Susie Parker Goins. I'm a channel energy healer guide, and teacher. I upload weekly with topics that interest me. Whether I'm talking about stuff, interviewing a practitioner I hold in high regard, or channeling, I focus on content to help you on your spiritual growth path. I upload weekly. and You can find me on the web at www.bluelightninghealing.com or you can email me at suzy at bluelightninghealing.com That's S-U-S-Y at bluelightninghealing.com. Whether you want to schedule an appointment, ask a question, or just to connect. Please like, comment, favorite, subscribe, donate to my ko-fi.com account, share with your friends, share the love. The Kundalini is described as divine energy. Most times when one encounters the concept, it is in reference to awakening one's Kundalini. Up until that point, the kundalini lies dormant at the base of one's spine. A coiled serpent image is often used to represent it. It is divine, feminine energy waiting to be released or awakened. When awakened, it can help you achieve a higher level of spiritual awareness and self-realization. Kundalini practices have been around for quite a while, like thousands of years quite a while. The first known writing about kundalini can be found in the Upanishads. The Upanishads are a collection of religious texts from Hinduism. It is not known exactly when they were written, but a good guess is between 800 BCE and 200 BCE. The Upanishads told of techniques used to awaken the kundalini, techniques that are still in use today, such as meditation, breathing, and yoga. Of course, it's reasonable to think that these techniques were passed down from master to student in practice and oral traditions before they were ever documented in writing. It appears that kundalini was not a widely known about nor taught to everyone kind of concept, kind of like Reiki at its inception. It was reserved for masters and students. It was only after years of spiritual study, meditation, and yoga that a student was allowed to refine their study and focus on kundalini with a master. And even then, it was still not widely known about these outside of this master-student situation. Until 1968, when Yogi Bhajan, an India-born American yoga teacher, brought the teachings of kundalini to the young people of the time. I know, young people sound so geezer, but hippie sounds so outdated too. But that was his target audience. Yogi Bhajan used his upbringing in Sikhism as a backdrop for his teachings vegetarianism, not cutting one's hair or beard, working to make a difference in the world, and yoga. He called it Kundalini yoga, and meditation is a major part of it. The Kundalini practice is still firmly in place even now. So, Kundalini. In a cultural context, I get this information from Brent of Brent Spirit, and he explains that the kundalini concept is far more widespread than I originally thought. While the word kundalini is from the Sanskrit and used in the yogic traditions in India, the concept of energy flowing through the physical body is understood far and wide. In some aspects or teachings in Buddhism, kundalini is seen as an inner heat, which is how it can be perceived when one awakens it. Also, when it is activated or released, the kundalini can be seen as burning away trapped emotions or trauma, clearing out your energy. The Mayans, the Mayans call this divine energy kukolkan. It's also pictured as a serpentine shape. Shekinah, which means settling or dwelling in Hebrew, is the divine spark or the God within from the Kabbalah and Judaism. Even Christianity recognizes the inner divine with their concept of the Holy Spirit. They use the image of a dove in classical paintings. So divine is first seen as outside of the body, but then the energy can be drawn into oneself, usually through the crown chakra. (laughs) Can I get a halo in here? Okay. (laughs) As pervasive a concept in a variety of world belief systems, science has yet to deem kundalini sufficiently proven as reality. But our collective consciousness buddy, Carl Jung, he did acknowledge kundalini and its impact on the people. He observed patients in a pre-kundalini awakened state, and he noted that some conditions arose from an over-attachment to the ego. And then, when the kundalini was released... It helped to erase the ego and therefore many of the health conditions he saw. So the pros and cons of kundalini awakening. First off, kundalini and spiritual awakening are not necessarily the same thing. One can be the result of the other, but it doesn't mean that once you're awakened in one respect, that all the lights light up. Okay? So some of the benefits of kundalini awakening include self-realization. Of course, you know, that pretty much sums it all up right there. The short definition of self-realization is fulfillment of one's own potential. And a slightly longer answer is that self-realization is a term used in spiritual schools of thought. Even Carl Jung used it. It's a state in which an individual knows who they really are and accept it A sense of fulfillment is derived from that knowing. Whether it's a spiritual understanding or a psychological process, it shows up as releasing attachments to ego-based thought patterns and actions and complete acceptance of self. Other benefits which fall under the effects of self-realization include happiness, a permanent sense of happiness, and therefore there's less stress, more compassion, inner peace, composure, I mean, spiritual awareness can pretty much sum up all of this. Are there dangers to kundalini awakening? Well, it's not like your head will explode, but as a result of the benefits, you may find that you don't fit in like you used to. The release of ego opens your eyes to the attachments those around you maintain. With your inner peace, other people's drama don't have the same impact on you. I know not playing along with other people's drama. (laughs) I really like that idea. So is that so much a danger? Okay. (laughs) And depending on what you're doing to work towards awakening your kundalini, there are some short-term effects, like when you use meditation, that requires deep breathing. So maybe you'll experience lightheadedness. There are other physical symptoms, which can include stomach upset, aches, and pains. But those mostly come about when you try to awaken your kundalini before you're ready. Also, if you're using yoga, it's quite possible to hurt yourself if you don't know what you're doing. I recommend you work with a qualified yoga instructor. It's a great idea to begin with anyway. So assuring your instructor is qualified not only in yoga but in kundalini yoga, they should know what they're doing. How do you know you're ready for a kundalini awakening? That's a great question. There's no specific timeline, like you must be this far along in your spiritual experience to have an awakening. It's not quantifiable. It happens at different times for different people, if at all. Not everyone experiences an awakening. Can you be not ready for it? Oh, yeah. More people are not ready for kundalini awakening than actually are ready for it. As I talk about the different methods of awakening, please understand that some people want that wham, bam, thank you, ma'am experience, you know, get her done. And there are people around who will offer to wake up that kundalini for you. It's not always in your best interest. If you're not ready for it, you're not. And that's when it gets dangerous. So listen to your body. Listen to your soul. Tune in to your energy to figure out what you are ready for. Don't think you have to keep up with anyone. It's not a race. You cannot force the process. So with that being said, as culturally pervasive as Kundalini awakening is, how does one awaken their Kundalini? Many of my resources mention that it is imperative for you to have an awakened mentor in this process either in the technique of Shaktipat or in guiding you along the path. When you're able to locate a proper kundalini mentor, they can help you with the process through studying with them or the process called Shaktipat. Shaktipat is the experience in which an awakened master passes on Shakti or energy to another. It can be done face-to-face, remotely, or in prayer. It sounds to me a lot like Reiki. I've received most of my attunements remotely through the setting of intention to receive or opening up to receive an energy orb, a general calling in. Shaktipat being the transmission of energy from one person or another can happen in all the ways. And like Reiki, the integrity of the transmitter and the energy, it ought to be impeccable. Meditation gets mentioned a lot. Even basic meditation brings peace to the practitioner. Every level of peace, attunement to the soul, releasing ego attachments, it all brings you closer to the state of readiness for your kundalini to awaken. General meditation in which one quiets the mind works great. You can focus on your chakras to heal, clear, and balance. You clear a pathway of energy that's also known as nadi, and that allows energy or prana whatever you want to call it to flow through the channels in the body. That's the path of Kundalini. so other methods would be breathing. I believe with deep conscious breathing you can release the stress of the day and find clarity in your life. That won't in and of itself awaken the Kundalini but it is a start on the path to peace and a good solid practice for everyday life. I found a lot of references, to the practice of tantric yoga as a means of awakening kundalini. Tantra is not just about sex. In fact, there are two branches of tantra. There's red tantra, the focus of which is deepening the relationship with one's partner. That's the practice which includes sex. Then there's white tantra. The one I'm talking a bit about is a solo practice in which you deepen the relationship with yourself. Tantric practice includes yoga, chanting, breath work, chakra work, and meditation. With the kundalini nestled at the root chakra, it makes sense that there is an involvement between the kundalini and the chakras. So let's look at the chakras for a minute or two. Chakras are energy wheels which correspond to places in the body. I've got in-depth episodes about different chakras, and that can be found on my anchor.fm podcast, also called Blue Lightning Healing Meditations. But here we go with some chakra info in a nutshell. Like I just said, chakras are energetic centers placed throughout the body. There are at least 108, but there could be more. So while most of that number is placed throughout the body, there are some that are below the physical body called subpersonal chakras, and some that are above the physical body known as transpersonal chakras. The ones that are most talked about are what I call the inner rainbow, that big seven. Inner rainbow was a phrase I used to help my kids better understand what I was talking about. Starting at the base of the spine, where the kundalini lies, is the root chakra, the muladhara, the seat of your connection to mother earth and family. The root chakra says, I am. It focuses on the fight, flight, or frozen instinct, you know, fear and survival. It's also your connection with being grounded and present in your body. And the other chakras build from that root. A balanced muladhara manifests as you feeling good in your body, healthy, vitalized, comfortable in your skin. You trust and are secure to the point that you can let go and relax. You're grounded. Next is the sacral chakra or the Svadishtana. Being in the reproductive system, it's the seat of creativity. I'm not talking exclusively about making babies, but self-expression. The key phrases for that are, I am creative and I feel. A healthy, well-balanced sacral chakra shows up as you know and appreciate pleasurable experiences. You take care of yourself and others. You can handle change. You have healthy boundaries and your emotional intelligence is at play. That means you are aware of your emotions. You're able to manage them in healthy ways. Sources talk about sexuality as a component of the sacral chakra, and that makes sense since it's centered in the reproductive area. Recognizing your sexuality in that spectrum of human experience and honoring it leads to a healthier self-image. Next up, the solar plexus or the manipura. It's just under your ribs, and it's where your feelings of confidence sit. The solar plexus phrase involves action, so I do. I am powerful. I am energy. I have energy. The solar plexus, the manipura, asks you, what do you stand for? Where is your personal power, your integrity? What gives you confidence? What do you have power over? A healthy manapura manifests as being balanced, having good levels of self-esteem or feelings of empowerment, confidence, responsibility, having the will to do what is for your best and highest good, and being energetic, not the bouncing off the walls kind of energy, but the kind that gets stuff done. The heart is the love center, the anahata, and its message is, I love. So the associated meanings are not only love, but acceptance, forgiveness, and compassion. A healthy, balanced heart chakra possesses an openness to love, to have empathy and compassion for yourself and others. You can see the good in things, people, and situations. You ever hear of those rose-colored glasses? Well, that helps everything fall into place for me. And we're not talking about toxic positivity here. The Anahata possesses a balanced outlook, finding the good in all the mess. You're not ignoring the mess, but you see it through the eyes of divine. And interestingly, a healthy heart chakra allows you to grieve. It is moving through and healing. Also, you show respect and a willingness to help others. That's compassion. And you're able to accept who other people are while you are living in your truth. Next up is the throat chakra, vishuddha. It's the center of communication, you know, truth, self-expression, discernment, creativity. Its message is, I speak clearly. A healthy throat or vishuddha chakra shows up as being able to express your thoughts and ideas calmly, confidently, mindfully, and being able to listen. Remember, communication goes both ways. So listening to listen not listening to wait for an opening to jab at your companion with some blazing retort. Vishuddha chakra is about constructive communication and conscious listening. We're coming up to the third eye or the Ajna, and its statement is, I see clearly. That's the seat of intuition and extrasensory perception or seeing beyond the physical. Also inner guidance, self-knowledge, detachment, A balanced Ajna manifests as, well, intuition, charisma, and imagination. And that sense of detachment. You're not tied to material things. Trusting in an informed way and self-awareness. Finally, you've got Sahasrara. It's represented as the lotus of a thousand petals. It's the crown chakra. It's your connection with divine. And its messages are, I understand. I know I am connected. What does a healthy and balanced crown or shahashrara feel like? You've got a deep connection with divine. There's a deeper self-awareness of your place in the universe. You experience a unity of mind, body, and spirit. Open-mindedness and being mindfully present. You have focus and determination. They call it Zen. Meditation can bring focus to the chakras to balance, clear, and align them, which led me down a path of more connectivity between the chakras. And it makes sense when your chakras are in alignment and balanced, you're better able to express yourself. So a balanced root chakra helps your sense of groundedness or standing your ground, which leads up to the sacral, and that adds a creative aspect, thinking outside of the box. The solar plexus flows up, and it's about confidence, the heart is love, and so on. When the chakras are in alignment, the energy flows without obstacles and you can better access your divine self and move closer to that state of self-realization. We've talked about Shaktipat, meditation. Uh, What are other ways you can move closer to awakening your kundalini? Well, the deeper I delve into this, the more I realize these techniques ease you into the awakening. Okay, so what else? We've got Mantras. You know, mantras focus your attention and build energy around your focus, like the Om Mani Padme Hom. It's an ancient mantra. It's also called the Compassion Buddha, and it is widely known. As simple as it is, it's a powerful prayer to purify one's life. Translated, it means praise to the jewel in the lotus. The Dalai Lama said it was a great and vast mantra because it wraps up the teachings of the Buddha in one phrase. And when you repeat any mantra, your intention is charged with your divine energy and it reinforces it to greater power. A side note, check out YouTube for videos with Tina Turner chanting for like three hours at a time. It's her passion and her devotion that comes through and she shares that love. Okay, next up, mudras. I reference those a lot in my chakra episodes, and mudras are asanas or hand positions that are used in meditation and yoga as a means of empowering your practice. An excellent mudra to hold is the Gayan mudra, and that's the one in which you touch your index finger to your thumb. That one promotes wisdom, openness, and calm. There's also the Shuni mudra, which is the middle finger and thumb touching to promote calm and patience. There are so many mudras that focus on a load of conditions. So research and discern for yourself which works best for you. Next up is breath work. Just breathing is good. Breathing deeply is better. Breathing with intention is great. And there's a lot you can do with breathing. So you can inhale and hold, exhale and hold. Deep breathing into your diaphragm and holding it and then letting it all go so that your stomach contracts and hold. That works. You can also breathe in segments like breathing in a little bit, holding it, breathing in a little more, hold, breathe in a little more, hold, breathe in a little more, hold, and then exhale in the same way. So you exhale a little bit, hold, exhale a little bit, Hold, exhale a little bit, hold, and then empty it all out. There's also breathing with intention. I use what I call the infinity breath as a relaxing techniques in my meditations. In the infinity breath meditation I use, I start with you breathing diaphragmatically. So that's breathing into your belly. And that deep breathing oxygenates your blood and it slows your mind down. Helps you focus attention on yourself. Then I ask you to breathe in love and breathe out anything that doesn't serve you in the moment, whether it's distractions, your to-do list, anxiety, anything you can be done with during the length of the meditation. And then we move on to breathing in love and breathing out peace, competence, attributes based on the meditation's focus. This kind of breathing doesn't send you out of the body like a full-blown meditation would. So you can focus on your breathing anywhere, really in the car, at the grocery store, waiting in line, as you go through your day. And of course there's yoga. Yoga is an excellent practice to bring awareness to your body and how it moves in your world. Many practices include meditation and there are asanas which focus on the chakras themselves. Hatha yoga was written about in the Upanishads. Tantric yoga works on the relationship with a partner or yourself. And kundalini yoga, as I mentioned, also works on awakening your your inner energy. As always, use your discernment first to determine if an instructor is right for you. Being me, I want to explore the crystals one can use to support your efforts. They don't do the work for you, but crystals hold space or energy for you. They're also a tangible reminder for you on your path. So it may seem obvious to me, but serpentine is a really good stone to use. The serpent is used as a symbol of the kundalini, and serpentine is used to clear the chakras along the kundalini path. In looking deeper into the crystals one can use, you use those which support and clear the chakras. So that can mean using stones whose color correlate with the color of the chakra. For me, that's the easiest way to identify with them. But I also ask you that this is not a definitive list. You look at the list or you find stones that resonate with you. You know how to identify energies and using your discernment, let it kick into gear here. So we're going to take these by chakras and you're going to find that some of these stones will work on multiple chakras. Use what resonates best with you. But I do love that spirit understands the budgeting concept. (laughs) You don't have to buy all the stones. So first off is the root chakra. Black stones that are used for grounding are really good for this one, such as hematite, black tourmaline, smoky quartz and jets, but also to correlate with color. Red, you've got red jasper, bloodstone, carnelian, and garnet. Moving up to the sacral, That color is orange, so you can look at carnelian, amber, citrine. They're a kind of a murkier color. Those vibrant orangey citrines are the ones that are frequently heat-treated amethyst. Just the more you know. There's also orange calcite, tiger's eye, sunstone, and aragonite. The solar plexus stones include citrine, lemon quartz, yellow tiger's eye, pyrite, yellow jasper, yellow jade, sunstone, and amber. Now, the heart has pink and green colors attached to it. These stones are going to reflect that, that variety. So there's rose quartz and rhodonite. There's also green jade, green aventurine, cryophrase, green calcite, malachite, and green moldavite. The throat chakra, which is blue, can benefit from sodalite, angelite, aquamarine, blue apatite, turquoise, blue lace agate, lapis lazuli the third eye which is that lovely indigo color it's a deep purple those stones are amethyst purple fluorite cherowite, lapis lazuli azurite labradorite and iolite and then our crown chakra which is that lovely violet a light purple you can use clear quartz there as that's an excellent amplifier but there's also amethyst lapidolite moonstone selenite sujalite, herkimer diamond, howlite, and Cherolite. And then for overall kundalini support, moldavite is awesome, shiva lingam, and serpentine, and finally atlantisite. Now I thought it was interesting to note that using stones with at least one flat side facilitates a stone staying in place when you use it on your body. Honestly, it was a, well, why didn't I think of that moment? The major takeaways from my research is to treat the kundalini process with respect. It is life-changing, and you don't rush it. It can happen all at once, or you can ease into it, or you may not get it at all, and that's all right. So a meditation that follows is going to focus on aligning your chakras, opening up the channels to help make the kundalini awakening easier. I'm not looking to go all Shaktipat on y'all. Now we'd be pushing it, I think. So until next time, blessings.